Play Fantasy Baseball Show with D. Mindy. Little Cheesecake and Doc starts now. We welcome in a man who knows how to turn two. This 12-year veteran played for three teams over the course of his career, swatting 61 home runs with 426 RBIs and turning 913 double plays. An all-star, silver slugger, and walking web gem. Now he's a baseball coach who plays Pepper, 21, and flip with his son Jacob. And videos (laughs) go on MLB.com. Off the field, he's a part-time gamer. And if you're listening to this, maybe he's crushed you in Warzone. We welcome in... Jumping Jack Wilson, what's going on? What's up, guys? Good to be here, man. It is a pleasure having you on, Jack. I can speak for my brother and myself. When we watched baseball tonight growing up, you were a frequent on Web Gems. And just talking with you right now, the flashbacks come back of what a wizard with the glove you were. I'm How just you? happy oh. that Jack didn't leave the interview after the audio didn't play. That's true. <laughs> No, man, I appreciate it. Thank you. Those are those are fun times. It's definitely, uh, you know, fun to play the game of baseball, but then get on Sports Center and Web Gems and all that stuff. That was always cool to to get back to the hotel and see if I made the top five or not. That was always cool. Jack, did you know that I uh, I got a haircut tonight just because I knew I was talking to you? Does it check out okay? Does it look? <laughs> I that's like way more hair than I ever had. <laughs> so it looks fantastic. But there's a reason why I wear hats now, because like, now I just <laughs> shave it completely bald. Now I just I just actually bought a shaver that like an electric shaver specifically for bald dudes, and it's awesome. So yeah, at least it, hopefully you don't get to that point. All right. Well, I'll have to reach out to you in 15 years when I lose all my hair and say, Jack, what was that razor you were talking ambitious. about? Yeah, I'll hook you guys up. Oh, awesome. Awesome. And Jack, you know, what I like to do is start out with the early days. You played your high school baseball at Thousand Oaks High School in California. Now you would play at Oxnard Junior College for two more seasons before being drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in the ninth round of the 1998 draft. So you played more baseball professionally than both David and I combined. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, no, that was, uh, gosh, it felt like forever ago. But uh, I'm actually, the, I've been the head coach now at Thousand Oaks High School for the last five years. So I went back to my alma mater to to coach up the, the next generation, hopefully, and not screw them up too bad. <laughs> Jack, do you um do you still lift weights at all or do any type of training? I do. I do. I really got into golf uh, over this last year and a half with COVID hitting. And uh, really, there's nothing, there was no baseball, so there's really nothing to do. So kind of jumped into golf and then started kind of training for golf, like, like following golf training regiments. It's kind of what I'm trying to do now. Give, so me if I sent to, you, give me something to look forward to. So if I sent you my really bad golf swing, you think you'd be able to critique me? No. Cause I'm right there with you. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm training for, it. I like, I watch so many videos and, and on YouTube trying to figure out, cause the golf swing is so much different than a baseball swing and trying to, trying to figure out how to not lose 15 balls. <laughs> off the drive on a single on a single round and then it's taking a while but it's it's getting there for sure there's the worst part rinse. i was gonna say okay. i think the worst part is when it starts slicing because you're like i'm yeah. hitting it hot, like solid but you can't get it to go this i think that's the hardest part getting that straight yeah. line swing and that's that baseball swing that you know we, we always go this way and and you end up coming across so really had to kind of figure out i've been been at the range hitting many of buckets trying to figure out how in the world i hit this ball and not shoot 200 yards off to the right into a house. 
So I I haven't broken any windows as of yet, but it's it's starting to actually turn the other way. I'm getting a little bit of a draw somehow. I don't know how I'm doing it, but I'm liking it. So huh? we'll just I don't even want to know what it looks like. I just want to make sure the ball keeps going in that direction. And there's something about retired athletes and playing golf. I, I swear it's like the go-to game. I guess you can still be competitive. You don't worry. have to worry about all the aches and pains. And it's still yeah. a sport. So the Absolutely. competitive nature doesn't leave you. Absolutely. I think, you know, video games and, and golf, is, is, as long as I do the dishes and go clean them up after the dogs and make sure the kids are healthy, <laughs> I get to do those two things. So I'm pretty happy right now. The only oh, thing that gets hurt is just the bruised egos that we get when we don't do well. Absolutely. But I'm, a, <laughs> I'm one of those positive golfers. Like if I shank one in the woods, I just tell myself, well, it's a good shot of the day opportunity because I got to punch it through these two bushes <laughs> to get it to here to roll it to there. So I'm very, I, I love doing it. I have a speaker that plays like loud music and drives all the other members nuts. But, you know, I like to play. I enjoy it. I don't expect myself to go out there and, and make good shots. So if you never expect yourself to make a good shot, you're pleasantly surprised when you do, and then you you expect it when you don't. So it's all good. So it's positive, positive. Love that. I like it. And you're a very positive guy. Now, diving back into, into your career, you would never play for the Cardinals as you were dealt to the Pirates for Jason Christensen. I didn't even know he existed until I Wikipedia'd that. <laughs> but you made your debut that year on April 3rd, 2001. You went one for two, collecting your first hit of 1,294 for your career. And it was against Osvaldo Fernandez. I assume you keep that ball, right? I do have that ball. Yeah, double down the line. And I was, I was pretty pumped because I got to go see Barry Larkin and say hi to Barry Larkin at that point. And that was kind of my goal. I was like, if I could somehow get on base and go say hi to Barry Larkin, I'd be pretty pumped. So, you know, when you look up to a guy like that who's a shortstop and, you know, you have opening day jitters and all that stuff. If you And he came over and shook my head and said, congratulations. And then... I didn't care what the rest of my career, what I did. I got to shake Barry's hand and he said, congratulations to me. It was a pretty big deal for me. Oh, I love that. And uh, I didn't know that story until now. I'm glad to hear that that was one of your idols. Jack, one of the things I noticed was that you led the major leagues in sacrifice hits your first two years of your career. You had 17 apiece in 2001 and 2002. Was that by design or was that by chance? Um. I think it, uh, they, you know, they those were when I was hitting two hole, and if the guy would lead off, I hit really well throughout my minor league years. I was actually drafted more as a hitter than anything, and then when I got to the big leagues, I I struggled a little bit, a little bit early on. I skipped over, I skipped over Triple A, so I didn't really have the kind of the seasoning there. But defensively, I was, I guess they figured I was ready for the big league, so I kind of made that jump, and it, it set me back a little bit because it was that's a huge jump. I mean, there's a big jump between Triple A and the big leagues, let alone Double A and the big leagues, so. Um, that set me back a little bit. I was consistently a 320 hitter my whole career in the minor league. So when I got up to the big leagues, it was, it was tough to deal with But since I wasn't swinging the bat that great and they liked me in two hole. So, you know, a guy would get a lead off single and I would bunt him to second. So they used that, that kind of opportunity all the time. My first couple of years until I started figuring out a little bit more my, my second and you know, my third and fourth year when I started to get a little more aggressive and kind of get the swing back a little bit. So I think that was just kind of how it, wor how it worked out with, with the way that the game flow was. And we're going to talk about your fourth year because in that 2004 season, it was special. As you set career highs in almost every category, you hit 308 with 11 homers, 59 RBIs, 201 hits, including 12 triples, which tied league leader Jimmy Rollins. But we're going to say that you led the league actually. And defensively, 
you put up the numbers as well. You had NL short top or NL short stops and assists, putouts and double plays, just like it's nothing. And rightfully so, you received all-star recognition and won the Silver Slugger Award. I mean, when you're having that career of a year, are you just thinking like, wow, everything's going right? You know, kind of reflecting back, how was that year for you? It really was. I think it was I went to the off season. I think I was at 223 and like 250, 250 my first three years. And being an offensive guy, like pretty much my whole life, I was just starting to get really pissed off at myself that I that I wasn't hit, you know, to my abilities of, of swinging the bat. I remember going one for four in the minor leagues and just staying back and hitting off a tee in the cage because I was so mad that I had somebody get me out three times. I just had that thought process. And then when I got to the big leagues, it was almost like, hey, you're here to play defense. You're going to struggle hitting-wise, and it's going to be okay. You'll get out of it. But that was kind of the thought to to me, like, hey, we really want you here to catch the ball. So I kind of bought into that and spent most of my time making sure I was locked and loaded and learning the speed of the game at the big league level. And then, you know, fast forward three years, and I'm kind of just being a 250 hitter at this point. So I really kind of focused the entire offseason really just on offense, really didn't do much defensively, defensive work at all, which I had been doing the majority of in the other off seasons. And got off to a really good start. Hit like it's in 400 in the first month, and then they followed it with like a 350 or something. So it was it was nice because it was it was a nice cushion. And you're hitting 360, you go over four and you're only hitting 356. It's really a cool thing. It's something you get over quite quickly, and it's much different when it's on the flip side. And people, you know, we would talk about 2004 as the career year, and then people ask me, "Oh, so 2004 was the year?" And I said, "No, that wasn't that wasn't the year. The I think the year for me was 2008. And if you look at 2008, I think I hit 292 with 12, I believe, uh, homers in in that year. And the reason yeah. why I say that in 2004." I was hitting 333 at the break and I ended up at 308. But like I said, it's a very it's it's an easy thing to to struggle a little bit because you look up at the scoreboard and you're still hitting 300. And that's kind of the goal for everybody, right? So it's it was it's all good. I had a really nice cushion. And the opposite happened in 2008. I went into the break at 240 and and did some adjustments over the All-Star break, you know, in a batting cage at my high school and turned around and I think I was second in the big leagues in batting average in the second half and ended up at 292. So jumped 50 points halfway through a season. So I, I always say that that's my favorite year because of the adversity I had to face. I really didn't have much adversity in the 2004 year because I started off so hot. I had this huge cushion to kind of just ride the wave. I think I got to 302. I think my, my second, my second at bat of the first game in 2004 was the last time I was under 300 because I went, ended up going one for three that game. So the entire year I hit 300. So it was, it was really, it was a lot of fun. It was a nice ride for sure. And I, you know, I enjoyed being successful, but I think with 2008, you know, having to deal with adversity and dig yourself out of a hole after 200 and something at bats, it was something I, I think I'm more proud of. Jack, when you're hitting like that well, I'm curious, the expression is it looks like a beach ball. Now I, I damn well know it doesn't look like a beach ball, but are right. you actually seeing the ball coming at you better or is it more that you're prepping when you're studying film of opponents and you kind of are understanding more what they're going to throw, where they're going to throw it and more kind of in the study of how they attack you. Yeah. I think it's a lot of it is facing those guys multiple times, uh, you know, getting acclimated to how the league is attacking you, how they're pitching you. 
a lot of it's too, not only watching the pitchers, but then you start learning who the catchers are because a lot of the veteran catchers are calling the game. So you kind of kind of figure out if Brad Ausmus is catching for the Astros, how does he like to get you out? How does he like to come at you? So there's so much information up there at that level. It's, it's mind blowing and you have to buy into that. I think, I think everything just worked out. I think the confidence level was really high in spring training. I really, like I said, the entire off season was offensive based. So I went to spring training, felt really good in spring training, and then it kind of carried that into the season. So I think that it it does kind of seem like baseball. If it, it, I think the, the better expression is that you almost feel like everything's in slow motion. Your timing's right. You're you're quiet. You're you're quick to the ball. You're picking up the pitches faster. And I think that's the biggest thing. Also, too, when you have that cushion, you're very very confident out there. You know, you know, you go one for five and you're hitting three forty. You're like. You know, so it's, it's, so you can, you can experiment, you can do some push bunts, some drag bunts, you can swing the bat and, you know, you know, the next day you still get to look up the scoreboard and there's some nice numbers up there. So you, you go, you come to the plate and you're just, you're just really confident, you know, the entire year. Yeah. And touching on the other side of the ball, you mentioned in a previous interview that being shortstop was cool because you got more action, but the downside mm-hmm. of more opportunities is the more chance for errors. And you spoke right. about a game in Milwaukee where there was an error you had that put the tying run on base. The next batter hit into a double play and your team won the game. But you talked about the, f- the effect of how you felt you let the team down. Now, errors mm-hmm. happen. They're part of the game and nobody is perfect in any aspect of life. But when you commit an error, what was your process for overcoming it? Did you think about what went wrong or did you just focus on the next opportunity? Uh, you do. You kind of, you know, you replay it really quick in your head to make sure that you don't, whatever mistake you made, you don't make again. Um, that particular error was man on first with one out down by one. And they hit me a ground ball and I touched second base and I had time to throw to first. And I kind of, I don't know, I, did, I just didn't throw it as hard as I should have. And I ended up short hopping him and uh, then ended up being two outs in the man on first. And now they had a chance again. So just in my mind, like my mind, like that was stupid. You're an idiot. All right, next time throw the ball. You know, so things like that run through your mind. And I hated errors. Obviously, everybody hates errors. But being a being a guy that's known for his defense and wants to take care of his pitchers, um, that kind of stuff to me was unacceptable. So I was pretty hard on myself on the defensive side. Whenever I would make an error, I would make sure that the next inning, when the balls were being thrown on the ground in between innings, I would go to that same spot and make that play again. Uh, instead, instead of throwing it away or bobbling it, make it the right way. And then I, then it's almost like I erased it in my mind. Like, okay, that ball gets hit again. I know I'm good. I know what I did wrong. So sometimes it's arm slot issue. Sometimes it's footwork. Sometimes I didn't go get a ball. I sat back and the ball ate me up because I let the ball play me. Things like that. Things that happen on the course, you know, of a season. But I, like I said, I, I try to have a, a real quick thought process of what I did wrong. Okay. Next time it happens, do this. And then. Hopefully, I tell my pitchers, give me another one, especially if it's like less than two outs and I make an error. Give me another. I'll, I'll turn it for you. Like, I'll pick you uh, I'll pick you up. That's my bad. Just make sure he hits it to me again. Because I always wanted the next ball right away because that way it could get out of my mind. I like that mindset. And next time I make an error in rec softball, I'm going to do the same thing between innings, have somebody hit me the same ball. Now, getting back there to you your go. playing career, the following season in 2005, you were hospitalized for an appendectomy. And although you were optimistic during that spring training, I imagine this type of injury is tough to recover from both mentally and physically. And while your offensive stats weren't the same as the year before, your defense didn't miss a beat. You led shortstops and assists and double plays. And Jack, it is absolutely crazy that you never won a gold glove. I actually had to like double and triple check that because 
Like you're a walking web gem. It's yeah. crazy. It's <laughs> no, absolutely thank you. crazy. I think I got I got second place five times because they, oh, they what? The, yeah, they released the votes because you can use it in like negotiation or arbitration if you ever had to go through that process. So they they always release the votes, but being in a small market. You know, they don't have the defensive metrics they use now, which really helps the fielder uh, with, like, runs saved and all that good stuff. It, they they kind of go back and they do those numbers, and every now and then they'll they'll throw up a little bit of love for, for guys like me. And it just helps more guys that are that are really good defensive now that they have these metrics that you, they just didn't have back then. And back then, if you hit well, you got the gold glove. And that's just kind of the way it was. That The best chance I had, the closest I got was the 2004 year. Coincidentally, was my highest, you know, my highest average year, but it was also the highest air year I had. So it made no sense to me. I think I had 17 airs that year. I got the closest, and I think it was simply because I hit 308. So that was just kind of the thing when Rafael Palmero, I think, won a Gold Glove at first base, and he played 50 games, and all the other games he DH'd, and he got a Gold Glove, and it was kind of like, yeah, if you hit well or if you've won them before. People who kind of just vote for the same people. So there wasn't really a lot of, I don't think the gold glove was really a lot of stats. It was popularity. Um, and there, there were guys that won gold gloves simply because they had won three or four the year before. You know, but now that now there's now there's those metrics out there that really help guys that that are like me that might not go out and hit 300 every year or hit for a bunch of power, but they go out there and, and play really well on defense and those numbers help them. So Jack, a question. So I know we were kind of talking about defense, but there are sites kind of like Baseball Savant, Fangraphs, a bunch of those type of sites where you can really analyze a ton of data, offensive mm-hmm. data, pitching data. Do you think you would have used stuff like that at your disposal? Like I'm on your player page right now. You're a little dated because you only you you know retired after the 2012 season. At least like mm-hmm. that's where it tracks for you. And then you know the, the most advanced stats that kind of goes into is like the BABIP, the left on base guys. But if you look at a player that's played in the last couple of years or is currently playing, you can see how they do versus each type of pitch they faced. You can see how much they pull the ball, hit line drives. You can see their ground ball percentages. You can see their launch angles. Is that stuff you would have used had that been accessible to you? I don't know. I think the science and what they're doing now is so far from what the game was when I was playing. Like launch angle i have have no idea what you're talking about like (laughs) it's a fly out or a homer i don't know what degree it was but it was an out i mean like it's it's just so different now because honestly the game changed when they changed the baseball um it's a 50 to 60 foot different ball than than the time that that i played so it is it was a ball that was catered to finding a way to get the home runs back uh it couldn't take steroids anymore so they, I feel like they just changed the ball and now the ball's flying out in record numbers. And you ask any former player, if you have anybody else on this team, when, when guys are going opposite field at Petco Park, like off the end of the bat, left-handers are putting in a second row. When Petco Park was known, if you, like you could get every bit of it as a right-handed hitter and it would go six or seven rows. Now lefties are, using, are, are going opposite field and, and flipping it over that fence. And that's a huge park. And it's just a, a completely different baseball that they're using. It's really, it's, we call them broken ones. And if you have a golf reference, those, that's a really nice golf ball. So they're using golf balls when we use baseballs. And that's kind of the game. The game has changed because, because of the difference in that ball. If it's going to go far, heck, why wouldn't you swing for the homer every time you're up there and try to find a launch angle to let that ball go over the fence? So it's just a different game now. There's no bunting. There's no hit and running. Mm-hmm. But MLB, MLB came out and said that they're going to change the ball 
which basically admits that they messed with the ball in the first place. <laughs> so, which everybody knew, I mean, everybody knew that obviously homers go up that much. Um, but, uh, I, I feel like we didn't need that stuff because you only had a handful of guys hitting 30 homers every year. Now, if mm-hmm. you hit 30 homers, it was like, oh man, tough season. You only hit 30. <laughs> yeah. Like, Hey, get him next year. It's okay. Like it's just a, it's a different game. So I don't think any of that stuff would have mattered to us back in the day because we were still trying to get on top of the ball and hit line drives. Yeah. And it's interesting. You had mentioned your career high was, uh, 12 home runs in a season, which was in 2008. Uh, that was one of your last seasons with Pittsburgh. However, your tenure with the Pirates would end in the middle of the 2009 season as you'd be dealt to the Mariners. And I know that this was a shock to you. Did Pittsburgh give any inclination that you were on the block? Uh, I've been on the block for a couple of years. You know, it just kind of one of those things that came that came up. And, you know, it's... Uh, we were in the middle of a negotiation for an extension with Pittsburgh actually. And we were actually really close, but it just didn't end up happening in the long run. So they made the trade. uh, I think the night before the actual trade deadline. So I, we were in San Francisco and I was in a cab on the way to the, the the park uh, to, to play against the giants when I got the call from Neil Huntington, the GM. And then sure enough, Freddie Sanchez got, got traded like an hour later. So it was a, it was a crazy day for sure, but no, I really didn't see it coming at all. Yeah. So Jack, I'm going to be honest with you. We've had a few former Pittsburgh pirates on this show. Probably the most of any team we've ever had has been on this show. So I have a very love hate relationship with them because I think they treat you guys like trash, but at the same time, they're giving (laughs) us guys to interview. Um, So I'm, I'm curious are they? I know they've kind of undergone a, a change at the in Pittsburgh with personnel. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm just very curious: is, is there a personnel? Was it as like sketchy as we've heard? We had Brunson Arroyo come on tell us that we had Pat Light come on and talk with us. Matt Caps, like are, they all have talked so bad about Pittsburgh. Is it really as bad as they were like kind of saying it was? I don't. I don't. I didn't think it was that bad. And obviously, too, it's hard for me. to because you know they gave that organization gave me a chance. I was 23 years old. They traded for me. They gave me two really nice contracts a young, at a young time. I think it was a you know a two year deal and then a three year deal. Like I, I felt you know I felt like I I almost owe Pittsburgh in a sense because they they gave me so much. They gave me the opportunity early in my career. Uh, they traded for me, gave me an opportunity. St. Louis was it wasn't going to happen in St. Louis. Tony La Russa loved veterans guys, so no matter what you did, you had Fernando Vina, and you had um, oh my goodness, I'm blanking on his name. You had the shortstop was uh, Edgar Renteria. Edgar Renteria, thank you. I was like, oh, the guy that got the game winning hit for the Mar- Marlins. So you had <laughs> you had Eddie there. Um, it wasn't going to happen. So no matter what it was with relationships with the you know three different GMs and the four different managers I had when I was there. Um, I still felt like this, that was home. Pittsburgh was home. You know, I, I, my, my kids grew up there. They considered that, uh, Pittsburgh home. We lived in Mars, Pennsylvania and that's, they knew that house more than they knew the house back that we had in California because they were there for much longer. So, um, I, I really don't have anything you know negative to say. I mean, business is a business. And I think that a lot of times, you know, it gets personal in a sense, but I really never took it very, very personal because I, by the time it, that came around to that part of the business, I, I was older, but I also look back and say, you know what, I wouldn't have a lot of what I had if it wasn't Pittsburgh believing me as a player and whoever was there at the time. So I, 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 I don't really have too many, too many Ill, Ill feelings or memories about 
you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates as an organization for sure. What I'm taking from this interview is that Jack Wilson is very optimistic. Now, to finish out your career, you'd play a couple more or a couple years with the Mariners. Now, you didn't win a gold glove there, but you won the Fielding Bible Award in 2009. So at least you got some recognition for yeah, defense. Uh, yeah, nice. Yes. You I got a nice little, they sent me a little plaque too. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's <laughs> think, awesome. Think, well, what happened was that was the best, that was my best defensive year was 2009. And I got traded to an American League team, so I was I I was ineligible for the Gold Glove Award. But I was that mm. was by far the best year that I had defensively. I was I felt so good. Uh, I was working with Perry Hill, who is the best infield coach on the planet in the history of the game. Uh, we had him in spring training in Pittsburgh and throughout, and we were Freddie and I were just killing it in the middle. I think we set we set the infield record for the Pittsburgh Pirates for at least for the highest fielding percentage in the history of the Pittsburgh Pirates that year with Perry Hill. So we were rock and rolling, and that was going to be the year. And but I got traded to an American League team, so I wasn't eligible. I was like, "Oh man, that's 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 perfect." The one chance I did have, the highest chance, I was ineligible. At least you got some hardware to add. I to did get man. the hardware. Yeah, yeah. It's, I love Freddie Sanchez, awesome. man. That's that's a name that doesn't get talked about enough. Freddie Sanchez yeah. was the man. He could rake, man. That kid was a crazy athlete. Crazy athletes. He's a, yeah. he was amazing. So he was fun to watch him play with. We played with each other. We played on travel ball in high school with each other. So it was fun to to, to make it up to the big leagues and play together too. That's so awesome. Yeah. And Jack, to kind of end out your career, you know, you had a short stint with the Braves, but speaking of high school, you're currently a coach at your alma mater, Thousand Oaks mm-hmm. High School. You know, life kind of has a, w- a way of making a full circle and you work with Team USA in the summer. So now that yeah. you're in a different role than before, does it kind of change your perspective of how the game is played? Um, not really. I think that I think that the reason why I got into coaching, obviously, my son was coming up and you know playing and loving the game of baseball and really getting interested into it. But I felt like I owed a lot to the game for what it had let me do. I got to play a game for a living for twelve years, and um, you know, didn't don't really need a job in a per sense to you know for the rest of my life because my wife is a lot smarter with money than I am. So <laughs> it, so I uh, so I owe a lot to this game. I you know I thought the best way I could do that is to give back to the younger players the information that I received from the best coaches in the world at the highest levels and uh, kind of take that down to them and and do the best I could to to kind of give them a cheat code in a sense because there's a lot of information that I could give them to help them, you know, do things at a younger age and hopefully have them stick out with different things about the game and being smart about different plays all, and speed of the game, all that stuff that need that, that high school kids need. So it's a, it's been a lot of, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun working with the kids. I mean, it's, there's parents involved. So sometimes that, that is, is a tough thing to deal with, but at the same time, it's, you know, when you see these kids learn something, go out there to the field and it happens in a game. There's nothing, nothing better for, for a coach to see that happen and try to make an impact in their lives. And for those wondering, Jack still has a cannon. You can watch a video of him and his son <laughs> playing games that you first started during quarantine and he still puts a little zip on the ball. I was going to ask how hard you threw. Well, I do have to throw, we have, we have three kids on our current high school team that are, that are draft prospects. So I, uh, we're doing inter squads right now and the scouts are coming out and I, every now and then I have to jump on the mound. I, and I think it's about 83, 84. It's not ah, special, geez. but I, but I can throw sidearm submarine over the top slider, change curves, 
let me a little split, little, you know, two seamers. So I can mess around with them a little bit, change speeds. So I like, I like competing against, uh, competing against the kids that get on the mound and, and just try to throw strikes, try not to hit That's them so awesome. mostly, which I, hit my, I, I hit one of my guys last week, but it was on the knuckleball. So it was fine. <laughs> We're speaking with Jack Wilson, 12-year MLB vet, defensive wizard, and maybe second stint coming as a pitcher. <laughs> Jack, we like to get our guests out of here with a little triple play rapid fire, some this or that. Uh, okay. Some of these questions you may have not been asked before. You down? Absolutely. All Let's right. First question, would you rather win a gold glove or a silver slugger award? Gold glove. All right. That's why I figured you were going. Close. I'd trade it in in a heartbeat. I love that. It's a way cooler trophy too. But okay. <laughs> that that's what really counts, what the trophy yeah. looks like. Yeah. Be- better jersey, the Pirates black or the Mariners teal? The Pirates red. Pirates mm, red. I don't know if what? you can remember that. The Ronald McDonald jersey we had for one year. Oh, that's right. I do remember those. Oh my gosh. I love those things. And everybody hated them. I'm like, man, there's not everybody loves red. Red's a baseball color. But uh I would have to say I do like that Mariner teal though. That is clean. That's a I nice, know that's a nice there jersey. A couple of years, but that, that that's a nice jersey. jersey. It is, yeah, right. especially have the, if you have the matching shoes. It's plus for sure. Oof. That's my <laughs> home, that's my homework after this pod is try to find a Jack Wilson Ronald McDonald Pirates red Dude, jersey. I love that jersey. <laughs> love it. All right, next one, non baseball related. What is your okay. favorite cereal? That is a great question. That is by far the best conversation starter ever, by the way, if you just have that. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Besides the weather. Besides the Uh, weather. Cereal you can't go wrong with. uh, There's so many to choose from, though, right? Um, Just like. All right. Give me your top three. Top three. Okay. Top three. I'm going to go Frost and Mini Wheats. Okay. Uh, Then I'm going to definitely go Captain Crunch Crunch Berries for sure. Uh, And you know what? I'll go. I'll go Honey Bunches of Oats. I'll go. I'll go a little bit. Uh. A little bit nutritious. Go honey bunches what is, of oats. What is Mini Wheats doing with those other two? They they're not in the same class. They aren't. They aren't. They but like there's nothing like you get that that milk in there and you get it right before it gets too soggy. And that's <laughs> like I say, it's all about like that day. Like what do you feel like? Like, is it a frosty mini wheats day? Is it a crunch berries day? Could be a a, a Captain Crunch peanut butter day or a Reese's peanut butter day. Ooh. Like get, I got three kids and they love that stuff. So it's always around. <laughs> and I try not now, to eat it, but that's sometimes. And plus, frosty mini wheats is like a double because you can totally just reach your hand in there and snack on that thing at night too, watching a movie for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. There, there you go. Now, real question do you mix your cereals or no? No, no. I. Okay. Big bowls though. Like big okay. bowls. Like, like love it's it. a meal. It's not like. And I always, you know, the one thing I always do too is I will never waste the milk. So I will keep pouring cereal in yes! that bowl until that milk is gone. That's not, the CC of drink, I don't want to I don't want to throw the milk away. And I don't want to drink the milk. I just keep I just so when I have a bowl of cereal, the box stays there until that milk is gone. <laughs> That's the CC Sabathia method. He used to eat a box of Captain Crunch every day. Well, well so yeah. before we move to the next one, Jack, will you judge me if I try to feel better about myself and I have two small bowls so that way I'm like, you know what? I had a tiny bowl and I'm still craving it. And it's like, I know that like I'm eating smaller portions of it at a time. So I feel like I'm it, like, is you that a better way to go about it? You can't do it. Cause uh, you know what, as you get older and your metabolism, metabolism is crap. And you know that when you eat this bowl of cereal, 
it's just not it's just not going to be good. You're going to have to run some laps, do some squats just to burn this crunch berries <laughs> off. You might as well just go all in. I'm talking popcorn bowl and just let go and just be Eat like with a ladle. Know, yeah, because if I if I sell myself short and I just have like a little bowl, I'm just gonna have two or three more. Like it's like once you pop, you can't stop type of thing. Like it's I'm gonna be hungry. Let's just go. Let's just do I, it. I should have saved this question for the end because I don't know how the rest are gonna follow up, but I'll try. Would you rather not be able to coach baseball for an entire season or give up video games for life? Oh, I'm taking baseball. That's for sure. I cannot give up the sticks. No chance. <laughs> Wow! Like it, just, like it was that. my whole career. That was that was kind of the way I kind of stayed out of trouble. Like I never went out on the road. I literally had a special suitcase made that held a projector and my Xbox and all my controllers. I took uh, to the hotels, and I would fire that bad boy up right on the wall. And I have a 200 inch screen, watch movies and play video games all night long in the hotel. So when I came home from a game, that was just the first game of the night. <laughs> then it proceeded by four and a half hours of FIFA or Madden, or golf, or Tiger Woods back in the day. And then I found a way to, to trick the hotel to get on their internet so I could use Xbox Live, and then it was on. And then it wasn't going to sleep till 5 a.m. because the sticks were rocking. So right now, I'm sorry, I can't, to give it up for life, I can't do it. So that's, and that's I just, fair. I just, I just took off a year because of COVID, so we're there. It happened. That's your right. Still playing That's and, I'm still, and I'll be on the sticks tonight. So I'm good. I'm good. All it right. Happened. That's yeah. a surprise answer. Um, yeah. Would you rather clog the toilet in the clubhouse or at your wife's place on your first date? Yeah, clubhouse. Because first date, you're not going to get a second right there. That's not going to happen mm-hmm. as much. I mean, you'd have to go to drastic measures, right? You you might have to pull up your sleeves and, and get down and dirty at the wife's place and at the clubhouse you're like you just get the clubhouse kid just be like hey bro stall three all yours but if you're if you're at the missus house and you're trying to impress her that's what's that jeff daniels and dumb and dumber right that's exactly what popped in my head yeah yeah the toilet wasn't working and he just panic mode and yeah he, ne- <laughs> he never got another date well, she wasn't available but she's a smart jack a smart man definitely yeah. smart man that's true. Now, I'm interested to hear your answer on this one. I think I am I'm know what way you're leaning, but better feeling, hitting a home run or making a web jam? Web jam. Web All jam right. and just walking the guy, watching him walk pissed off back to the dugout. <laughs> that's, you know, I feel bad, especially if you do it against another shortstop, I feel bad. Like I got to hear once and he, he went back to the dugout and then he had a double and kept a second, just stared me down. He's like, Jack. Our relationship has changed. I'm like, I'm sorry, bro. My bad. Won't happen again. <laughs> Swear. Hit it whatever you want. I'll let it go. I promise. You're Derek yeah. Jeter. But, you know, you got to, you're taking a hit. I mean, because you, you, that fires up everybody. Obviously, hitting a home run is the thing. But, man, when your pitcher turns around and he goes, crap, that's a knock. And then you take it from him. That pitcher is going to be super energized. And he's going to, you know, he might take that over the next couple of bats. That might push him into another inning. You know, so it, it'll get everybody excited. I think people, People are used to home runs. I think when people make really good plays, I actually think that they're more impressed with that. Unless Judge hits a ball 600 feet, that's pretty yeah. impressing. That's that's <laughs> nice. But I think when somebody like lays out and makes an incredible play at those somebody, I think people get more excited about that because all you got to do is swing to hit a ball. But if you freaking you got to roll out, lay out, get a ball, and get up a guy out who's running down the line, that's pretty cool. 
Well, so you hit 61 jacks, pun intended, and I'm sure you yeah, made but, more than but, 61 but we, gotta, but we have to understand, though, I hit 61. But if I played now, I would have hit 426. Oh, yeah. We had a whole different conversation just because it's a different ball. You know, the ball goes further, right? And I would have a launch angle, and I would really get dipping underneath. And I'd, <laughs> you I'd get the like, launch angle down. Yeah, I hit 30 homers, and I'd be just a normal guy. And then it'd there be we okay. go. No, but you have, um, and you can have no, all I, the gold gloves. I, yeah, I would. I never want to hit the ball in the air, anyways. I was a small guy; I didn't have a lot of power. But I'm proud of my 61 and the fact that people tell me that Roger Maris and Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds hit more home runs one season by entire career. So I enjoy having <laughs> that conversation all the time. I didn't want to bring that up. I will say this, though. I will say this for all the kids watching. It's very important to have a two-strike approach where you choke up, you stay short, and stop striking out because over 55% of those 61 homers were with two strikes. When I was just trying to put the ball in play, I wasn't over-swinging. I was just putting the ball in play. But most of these young guys don't understand what a two-strike approach is because they watch the big leaguers strike out 200 times a year because it's okay right now. Back in the day, it wasn't okay. Two-strike approach. Does it? You choke up on a bat. doesn't mean you can't hit it just as far as when you're not choked up. In a 2 0 count. So 55% of those 61 homers were with two strikes. I love that. Just I just trying know to that. just trying to put just trying to put it in play. Just playing you educated me right now. And, yeah, and, and, and all the research I did, I didn't find that. But here's a yeah. question that's not baseball related. Would you rather eat an entire bag of hot dogs or hot dog buns? Hot dogs. Hot dogs. Okay. I mean, either way, you're gonna throw up. So <laughs> I just feel like the the hot dogs would be mushier, and I think it would come out more. I think the 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 bread would get all lost up. I think it'd be a tough one, but it'd yeah, be, the hot dogs. A lot of crowd. I mean, it depends on are you, are you going ballpark? You're going Nathan's. You get to pick. Oh, are you going Dodger dogs? Those, I've heard those are legendary. They are. They are amazing. They are. They are, they are very Farmer Don's Dodger dogs too. Are they are very good? So I'll take the Dodger dogs, the hot dogs. All right. Few more here. Would you rather wake up in your bed with a porcupine or a skunk? I'll take the porcupine. I'll take the pain because the stink stays around a while. I think it, it lingers. Uh, I think it's, it, it's not going to go anywhere. I'll take this, the needles in the side of the leg or wherever he ever he gets me. And, you know, if we're cuddling, I might have a bunch of needles. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll pull those suckers out, get a little AD ointment. I'll be good to go. So I'll take All right. I love it. it. Probably, probably you've been through things more painful. I'm just giving you like these super realistic answers too. I'm like, I'm I love it. You're thinking yeah, about great. Fine. <laughs> All right, we got we got a couple more here. Would you rather sit in wet paint and not know about it, or step in gum with your bare foot? I'll take the gum. Another another. I'll take the gum, especially if it's like big league chew. It's nice and soft. I'll take the gum. I'll be all right with that. The paints it's gonna take some. It's gonna take some. It's gonna take some time to get that stuff off for sure. So I'll take I feel like gum. you'll replay. I feel like you'll replay the memory though of stepping in that pile of gum. I mean, you don't know he was. He played in the big league. Correct. You think he's gonna think yeah. about stepping in gum? Oh, uh, that's yeah. true. That's true. Many times I had some some wads of gum on the bottom of my cleats and just pulled it off because it wasn't COVID yet. So we're like, all right, I could touch it. It's okay. Just throw it out. Wash my hands real quick. It's all good. All right. That's very fair. The last one. Would you rather be one hour early or 15 minutes late to everything? Oh, one hour early. Definitely. 
Definitely. Cause I got, you got Netflix on your phone. You can catch a couple episodes of office while you're waiting. You can, you can do a bunch of stuff. You get to, to, we're very catered to having dead time and what we can do. Now, if I didn't have a phone, I might take the 15 minutes after because then I just <laughs> mind was I would have anything to do, nothing to watch. So, I was gonna say, what if what if this was in your playing days when flip phones were a thing? So you have your phone, you just don't have the technology. Right. And then I'd like have to call somebody and talk to them. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be tough. That would be tough. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I I, I still got to be early. And I think that's just because like being an athlete, like if you're 15 minutes late, you never got to play. Like you'd always yeah. get in trouble. I just figured like, if hey, if I'm going to be an hour early, I'll never get in trouble. You're not going to get in trouble for being early, right? That's true. You're being bored yeah. just rather than being in trouble. But Jack, right. great, an- great answers. And awesome. we appreciate you so much for joining us. For those that want to follow him on social media, he's on the gram at jack.wilson underscore two. So he's got all the the letters and characters in there. Jack, before we log off, is there anything that you want to pump? I know you're doing something with Dropbox or anything you want to promote to our audience. Oh, no, I'm just happy to be a part. Thank you guys for for having me on. I had a blast and, you know, the Dropbox stuff is, it's, you know, there's some videos on there for people that are, board or or they're stuck inside or they you know especially there's a video on how to do defensive drills with an iron mic that's pretty cool that i kind of you know came up with for people who might not have access to a baseball field or whatnot so there's some fun stuff in there you learn about my family because it's a it's an open i guess it's an open i'm not a social media guy my my kids put me up to it in in during covid so Apparently it's open and anybody can go see pictures of my kids and, and check out what they're doing. So I think it's pretty cool and kind of get inside of what an old retired baseball player looks like. So it's all can good. We, I can we call ourselves now the official podcast of Jack Wilson? Absolutely. Absolutely. I follow you guys. We'll be good to go. I'm yes. And and I'm if you're excited. listening to this, if you're listening to this and you're on Instagram, go follow him. He's at 872 right now. I know, Woo! right? I just let's, started. Let's, let's get Jack Wilson to a thousand, baby. And I'm giving away like bobbleheads and stuff. That's in my garage. I'm cleaning my garage. I got all these bobbleheads and stuff like that. So right now, there's like every weekend there's a giveaway. Some smart person, my good buddy Cody Sable on Instagram, who does paintings in Pittsburgh, who's amazing. Uh he told me, he's like, dude, you need more followers. Everybody thinks that your account is like a fan account. I'm like, what's that? What are you talking about? Like the underscore, you're screwing yourself. I'm like, what? Yeah. I have no idea what that means. So he's like, you got to give some stuff away. I'm like, I got boxes of bobbleheads in my garage. We can do that. So like, we're, I'm just giving stuff away and mailing it off to people in, in hopes that people will follow me, I guess. Because Instagram has denied me twice for my blue check. I mean, come on. It's okay. We're I'm right writing to them right after this show. It's getting that taken I, care of. I feel like there's three-year-olds that have a blue check next to their name, and <laughs> I have a silver slugger, and it means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Instagram doesn't care about silver sluggers, apparently. Maybe if, you if, I, had a, if I won a gold glove, I would have had a blue check 100%. God dang it. <laughs> they traded me in 09, and I lost my blue check. Well, if you're listening to this, make sure you write to Instagram after you follow Jack so yes. that we can get him verified. A petition. Oh, 100%. Starting with this, <laughs> our blue logo in the corner. Get used to that blue in the corner on your screen. Yes, we need to keep that check. <laughs>
We will catch everybody next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure you just tune in for some great content. And maybe next time we talk with Jack, he'll be verified. Boom. <laughs>